Good morning. I'm reading from the word of the living God. Mark chapter, uh, chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came in and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Seriously, at the soundboard. There we go. Cool. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> My name's Al. Uh, I work for Grands Van, and you can blame Brian that I'm here this morning. Um, Brian and I were talking about Grands Van and you guys being involved on, with our Sunday night program, and he said, oh, would you like to come to Pathway and talk about it? Uh, and that developed into, would you like to come to Pathway and share a message with us? Um, so if you don't like what happens this morning, you can blame Ryan. Um, <laughs> sorry, mate. Uh, I did tell you that things would be a little bit different because I'm not your average preacher and I haven't actually done this for about three or four years anyway. Um, but his, I think his exact words were, we embrace different at Pathway, so it's all good. So this morning I just want to talk briefly about Grand's Van first of all, uh, and then we're going to tell a story together. All right, so we're going to try that, see if we can't um, work through telling a story together and hopefully wrap it up at the end with some thoughts around giving and what that looks like for us uh, as, as God's people. So, initially, Grand's Van. Who's heard of Grand's Van? Just give me an indication, most of you, that's good. Who knows what we do? Okay. Somebody want to shout out what it is that we do? Feed the poor, good. All right, what else? Build relationships, good. Anything else? Good, warm clothing, excellent, all right. All, all really good things. So Grains Van was actually formed in about uh, in June 2006 by Mary Binks. Uh, Mary was uh, the mayor of Devonport at the time. She looked around and saw that there were no organisations, nothing available for the homeless and poor in Devonport in terms of providing um, food and, and uh, meals during the week. So she gathered people from the local churches and from the local community and formed an organisation which is now an incorporated association uh, run by a board of directors uh, and that organisation is set up and designed to um, look after the poor and homeless of Devonport uh, to some extent. Obviously now there are some other organisations around town that do this but Grands Van is still an integral part of what happens in terms of looking after the, the poor and needy in our community. Uh, we have one part-time employee, that's me, hello, uh, and we have over 100 volunteers uh, on our register. Uh, that fluctuates up and down a little bit. I think it started about 125 uh, when I first took over um, as the coordinator of Grands Van. And it just goes up and down depending on who's available and, and what's going on. But uh, over 100 volunteers who go out four nights a week to provide um, 
a meal of either sandwiches and soup or hot stew. Uh, we, ha we also carry things like uh, blankets, jackets, jumpers, socks, beanies, um, toiletries, uh, you know, things like toothpaste and, um, and brushes and shaving kits and uh, canned goods of food that we can hand out, uh, biscuits and those sorts of things if we have them donated to us. Anything that we can lay our hands on pretty much that's going to be of benefit to people who are um, finding things tough in the community. Uh, on average, we serve somewhere around 14 or 15 people per night, which doesn't seem very many. Um, but last month, August, that, that actually uh, totaled 343 clients over the month. Uh, which was our second highest month on record since 2006, um, our highest uh, August ever. Uh, and already in September, the lowest number of people that we've had is 16 and the highest number that we've had is 28 over the six nights that we've been out. So the need is actually increasing and we expect that it will continue to increase. Um, but that's what we do, that's what we're about. Uh, and as somebody said, building relationships is a big part of what we do. Uh, and some of our regulars part of the reason they're there is not because they desperately need something to eat, but because they enjoy coming and sharing a bit of company and having a few minutes to chat with the people that are there. Uh, so community is certainly a massive part of what we're about. So that's what we do. Um, there are some exciting things coming in terms of what Grand's Van is about to be doing. Uh, so there's a couple of photos that you're going to see on the screen. One of them is a brand new truck. Uh, it's uh, an Isuzu dual cab. Um, it's car license rated, so think about the size of your budget rental truck. Um, that is, it currently doesn't look like that anymore because it now has a, a back on it. That's going to be our new food van. So we have the current food vans parked out the front. Um, think double the size is what this is going to be. And instead of serving from outside the van, you'll actually climb up and there'll be a hatch and you'll serve out through the side of the van instead. Um, we needed a bigger truck because we want to do a few things um, that this was going to be necessary for. One, instead of just stopping at two locations around, the t around town, once this gets up and running, we're going to be stopping at at least four and potentially increasing the number of places that we stop so that we can reach more people. Uh, so at the moment, we stop at the old library car park um, opposite Hertz Rentals and uh, at 108 Tarleton Street, so not very far away from where your new shed is. Uh, in East Devonport, we're looking at adding um, the Valley Road Shopping Centre, possibly Coles Beach uh, and potentially another location in East Devonport as well. Um, by the end of this year. So that will be happening once that new van's up and running and ready to go. Uh, that will have in it a bain-marie, a hot water urn um, and a fridge. So we'll actually be able to uh, provide a greater variety and a greater quantity of food for the people that we're going out and serving. So that's the truck side of it. The second thing and part of the reason we needed a truck is what you can now see on the screen, the trailer. Uh, now that's only just been built. It's currently being fitted out on the inside. It's only got the electrical and the plumbing to go as we speak. Uh, in that, the door at the far end opens into a small shower space. Um, so clients will be able to come, uh, lock themselves in, get themselves a, a shower, a hot shower, get themselves clean, dry, whatever they need to do, uh, and come out. In the other door, which is the rest of the space, there will be two washing machines and two dryers. Uh, there will also be a small meeting space where people can sit and chat. So we're looking at um, potentially providing um, free medical exams, free haircuts, um, free counselling, any of, any of those sorts of services that we might find are going to be useful for people. The trailer will be out during the day, two days a week, once in West Devonport and once in East Devonport, and that service will be completely free to the community. So if, they, if anyone needs a, a free shower or somewhere to wash their clothes um, and get them dry, then we will have that. And of course, we'll have 
uh, tea and coffee available for them to sit and chat with our volunteers while they wait. Um, we'll have spare clothing in case any of their stuff isn't worth putting through the washing machine, um, that they can actually take something new away. So that's uh, where Grand's Band is headed and what we're doing over the next uh, little while. So um, later on, uh, later on this morning, I'm, I don't want to harp on about this too much, but uh, there'll be an opportunity for you to come out and wander around the van and have a look at what our current van looks like, ask me any questions about Grand's van. Um, I think Ryan's also organised a few people that are going to hear from me about what's required because you guys are actually heading out tonight and next Sunday night to actually run the service for us um, as Grand's van and volunteer. So those people that are involved in that can come and hear exactly what's involved and what's required. Cool. Story time. Okay. I really need your help to tell this story. This is going to be an interactive thing, so please don't be shy. It's why I got this microphone, because I might actually stick it in your face and get you to answer some of the questions. All right, don't, don't panic too much. They're going to be easy questions, and it's all made up anyway. We're just making this story up as we go along. So I want to tell you a story about a builder, and the first thing I need is the builder's name. Anyone shout out a name for me? Bob is the obvious one. Let's have something a little bit more creative. Norman. Norman's our builder. Okay. Now, Norman's, <laughs> good name, um, reminds me of the car from City Slickers. <laughs> um, so, Norman is somewhere between the age of uh, 25 and 35. Somebody yelled out a number between there. 27. Okay, good. Norman, who is 27. Is Norman married? Let's have a, let's have a vote. Those who say, yes, he's married. Yes, he's married. Hands up. Looks like it's a no. He's... <laughs> Has he, has he got a special someone at least? Yes. <laughs> There's always one in the room. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, do they have any kids? No? Okay. Is, it, is 27 too young for kids these days? I know we're in church, but let's be realistic, people. Not being married is not a, not a condition for not having kids these days. <laughs> All right. So Norman's a builder, and like most builders, he has a vehicle of some description to cart his gear around in. Um, I won't do any advertising for any of the local brands, but he has a ute, which he stores all of his uh, tools and equipment on and parks in his driveway at night um, and obviously takes it to work to do whatever he needs to do. Somebody's kind of going, oh, no, already. <laughs> we haven't even gotten there yet. <laughs> so, this one night, Norman's sitting at home on the couch watching his TV and uh, hears some noises outside. It's dark. He's not sure what's going on. He flicks the outside light on and he sees a few guys gathered around his vehicle outside. Now, what would a normal person do in that context? Anyone, anyone think police? Yes, okay. Any, <laughs> 12 gauge, okay. Norman's, Norman's not a gun owner, okay. <laughs> but he is a fairly typical Aussie male. And I don't know about you, but one of the first thoughts that I would have, I know this is probably a stupid thought, is to go out and confront them. <laughs> All right? So he wanders out the door. He <laughs> says to these guys, hey, stop what you're doing. What the heck are you up to? 
they're my things. And they go, not anymore, mate. We're taking them. And he says, no, you can't do that. I rely on these tools and equipment. I'm a builder by trade. I need them. Uh, and I've got to go to work tomorrow. And if you guys take this stuff, and they just don't, too bad. We're out of here with this gear. So he says, no, and walks up to one of them and grabs hold of them and tries to pull them away from his ute and says, no, leave that stuff alone. It is mine. And one of them reaches into the back of his ute, picks up a piece of stud work off cut that's in there and turns around and smacks him around the head with it. Now, Norman being a quick, a guy with quick reflexes, puts his hand up, tries to prevent it, hits his arm, breaks his arm. The guy swings again. This time he does hit him in the head, knocks him down to the ground. While he's down there, bashes him on the ground, kicks it, hose the boots in, and when he's sure that Norman's not going to get up and do anything to stop him anymore, throws the piece of wood away, goes back with his mates, collects all of the tools and equipment off the back of the ute, throws it in their car, and they drive off and leave him lying there. This is not a good story so far, is it? <laughs> Poor Norman. Fortunately, somebody drives past, uh, sees Norman lying on the front yard, calls the ambulance, uh, calls the police. Norman's taken away to hospital, uh, where, because of his fractured skull, he's put into an induced coma. Uh, and it's not until several days later, when he wakes up, uh, that he's able to tell the police what happened and identify the fact that there were these guys who came and took all of his stuff and disappeared with it. Now. I know there's a few people, a few people here in the room who are tradies. Uh, the loss of all of your tools would be how big a deal, guys? Yeah, everything, massive. So it means that even if Norman were able to work, which at the moment he's not because he's stuck in hospital healing from broken arm, broken ribs, fractured skull, all of those things, even if he were able to work, when he walked out the door and went home, he wouldn't have any tools, he wouldn't have anything that he could then go to work with the next day and produce his income. Uh, and while there's some misconceptions around about builders being really rich and having work on all the time, it's not always like that, is it? And, you know, sometimes for a builder it's, I need to do this job so that I can put food on the table, I need to do this job so that I can pay this bill, I need to do this job so I can keep fuel in my ute so I can go to the next job, and so on and so on. And suddenly Norman's in a situation where he actually has none of that opportunity. He's not physically able to do it, uh, he has no tools to be able to do it, and he's left in a position where he has absolutely no income. All right, so this is Australia. What's the first thing that you think of when somebody's in that situation? What are they going to do? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Family, all right. No one thought of insurance? Insurance? Okay. Problem is... As a young 27-year-old builder, Norman couldn't afford insurance. All right? Um, so, no help there. No family living locally. No friends that have got money, all in similar sorts of situation to him. Hey? He's special, he's special someone. Unemployed at the moment, living off welfare. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Grandsland, absolutely. So there, there would be options in terms of things that he could get by with food and, and some of that, that stuff. But he's in a situation where he simply can't replace um, the tools and things. Now, let's just flip this for a little minute. 
Um, what's going to happen in a situation like this? There's going to be a police report. The media is going to pick up on it. It's going to likely be in the local newspaper, yeah? Not that any of us read the newspaper anymore. Um, so it's going to be on the, in the important places like Facebook, um, social media. And once it gets onto social media, how many people do you reckon are going to have an opinion about it? <laughs> Probably everybody. <laughs> how, many, how many people do you think are going to look at what happened to Norman and go, why the heck did you leave all your tools sitting on the back of your ute parked in your front yard? What an idiot. Anyone, did anyone have that reaction this morning as we shared this story? No? There were a couple, yeah, a couple of honest people going, what an idiot. Surely at least you would not buy a ute that you left them on the back of. You'd buy some kind of van that you could lock them up in and they'd have to break into it. Um, or you'd park it in the shed where people couldn't get to it. So there's plenty of comment on social media about poor old Norman about how stupid he was to leave his tools sitting on the back of the ute in the first place. How many of you thought that he was crazy to go out and confront the robbers? All right. Can you imagine the comments on the Facebook posts and the stories about why didn't he just stay inside and call the police? Why did he go out and confront them when there were three of them and there's only one of him? Why on earth would he put him in that himself in that situation where he was going to get hurt? What an idiot. And of course, all of those people who think that he's done two stupid things at least are not going to have any interest in helping him, are they? Because they just write him off and go, well, it's his fault. He should have fixed it. Now, a few of us thought he should have had insurance. And a lot of people just read the story on social media and went, ah, oh, it's okay, he's a builder, he's got plenty of money, he'll have all these tools insured, he'll just be able to replace them. As soon as he gets out of hospital, he'll be right. But we've already said he didn't have insurance. So there's a whole bunch, another whole bunch of people who have written him off, not for being stupid, but for being clever, but realised that he wasn't in a position to actually be clever. And they've written him off and left him there in that situation. Now, does Norman play sport? Anyone think yes, yes? Okay. And what does he play? Sorry? I, I hear footy. So we mean, we mean football. So we don't mean that outdoor handball that the Aussies invented. We mean real football. <laughs> okay. Uh, his local sporting club, um, good group of mates there, and a few people mentioned earlier about, hey, his mates might be able to help him out. One particular guy there named Akram. He is from the Middle East. Uh, he is a, another builder, uh, another tradie, uh, has his own set of tools, and he hears through the sporting club about Norman's situation. And he sits down and scratches his head for a while and thinks about what he could possibly do to help because, you know, they're mates. They go to the same club, they're involved. What can I do to help out? So the first thing he does, and people have already mentioned it, he does a GoFundMe and he does it unofficially. Um, and here's the tip. While this is a completely... Uh, fictitious story that we're talking about here with Norman, I have actually seen this happen with one within a local sporting club where somebody got ripped off and the club went, one, one person in the club put their hand up and said, you know what, I'm going to open a bank account and I want as many people as possible just to stick in five bucks, ten bucks, twenty bucks. Uh, within a few days, he'd raised several thousand dollars. So Akram has got this bank account now with several thousand dollars. And then he goes out to his shed and looks at his vehicle 
and combs through it and he goes, you know what, I've got three hammers, I can definitely spare one of those. I've got an old nail gun that still works, I could spare that, I only need one. And goes through the list of all of the stuff that he's got. And then he looks at his own bank account and he says, you know what, I've got a little bit of money that I was setting aside here for a new drop saw. Um, I reckon I could do something with that. And he goes to visit Norman in the hospital and he says, mate, here's what I want to do. I've got some tools that you can have. I've raised this money um, through the club and I've got a little bit of money set aside of my own that instead of buying a new saw for me, I'm going to buy one for you instead. And what, what would Norman's reaction be like? Yeah. It'd be, like, it'd be like, wow, why would you do that for me? But it goes even further than that. Akram says, I realise that you're going to be a little while before you can work again. Your ribs have got to heal, your head's got to heal, your arm's got to heal before you can actually get out and do your jobs. Have you got a list of jobs that, you're, that you've got lined up to go and do at the moment? And Norman goes, yeah, I've got people waiting on me and relying on me and, and stuff that I need to get done. And Akram goes, you know what? I'm going to work longer hours, I'm going to work weekends, and I'm going to get all of my work done, and then I'm going to go and do yours, and all of the money that I earn from doing your jobs, I'm going to give back to you. Now, how does Norman feel? Yeah. Wow. Now, some of you might go, why are we talking about Akram? Why are we talking about a guy from the Middle East? Well, when Jesus told this story, he deliberately told it in a way that would shock and make the people that were listening go, why would, why would that person help? Akram from the Middle East is probably a refugee or a migrant who's come into this country. There's a fair likelihood that in Australia, while we claim to be multicultural and accepting, that he would have copped a fair bit of racism and some discrimination, some being ostracised in the community to a certain extent. And yet here he is, he's the person who's stepped up in the midst of everything that's going on and he hasn't gone, what a stupid idiot for leaving your tools out where people can take them. How crazy were you to go and confront people? Why didn't you have insurance? He's just gone, no, how can I help? What can I do to help? Does anybody recognise this story from Jesus telling it? Yeah? Good Samaritan. Yeah. But the Good Samaritan in our current context, yeah? Now, Jesus was telling this story to a group of people that would have understand what it meant to walk along the road and to be robbed and to be left for dead. And they would have understand, understood who the priest and the Levite were who came along and walked past. And they would have understand, understood how crazy it was that a Samaritan person would have stepped in and helped in this situation and picked this person up, risked his own life that the robbers might come and hit him while he's helping, all right, taken the guy to, a, to an inn, put him up, paid for him and said, here's some more money to look after him until he gets better and when I come back, make sure you look after him because I'll cover his costs and any other costs that you have. The people listening to Jesus at that point would have realised how crazy that was. So talking about Norman for us today is to put it into a context that we understand. We understand what it would be like for somebody to lose their livelihood by being physically injured and having all of their tools stolen. We get that. We understand what the reaction of the world would be like looking at him and going, either 
you're an idiot, or how can we help? And we also understand that, you know, in, in the context of our culture, somebody like Akram coming along and helping is probably unexpected. Right? So the, it's the same story in a context that helps us to understand what's going on. And the question I want to ask this morning is, why did Jesus tell that story in the first place? In the context of what's happening here, a guy's come up to him and trying to justify himself says, what do I need to do to receive eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do you think you need to do? And so he says, well, the law says I need to love the Lord with all my heart, my mind, my soul and my strength and I need to love my neighbour as myself. And Jesus goes, absolutely, go and do that. And the guy goes, "Mm, yeah, okay. Who's my neighbour though? Who's really my neighbour? And so Jesus tells this story. And often when we look at this story, we think about it in the context of uh, this is an individual person who's talking about how does he inherit eternal life. But when you look at the response that he gave to Jesus' question, what do you think the answer is, that response can be individual, but I think it's actually better understood as being a corporate idea. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. See, that's not just about me, that's about you. In fact, it's almost all about you. And for every one of you, it's about everyone else. And not just the people sitting in this room, but the people walking past on the street, the ones who live in the houses across the road, the people who are going to come to uh, Pathway Community Hub, the people who are going to come to Pathway Shed, that come to Pathway Kids, that come to Pathway Youth, that are involved in the local outdoor handball club, the, the football club, the Apex club, that go to Paul's Kitchen, that come to Grand's Van. Love your neighbour as yourself is about every one of those people, isn't it? And isn't that what Jesus is describing when he talks about the Samaritan and, and the question that he asks at the end, who do you think was the most like a neighbour in this story? And the guy goes, well, it's obviously the Samaritan. It doesn't make any sense that it'd be the Samaritan. Why would they help us? We're basically at war with them over religious issues. It doesn't make any sense. But it, while the story doesn't make any sense, he's obviously the neighbour. And Jesus just says, so you go and do the same thing. What must I do to receive eternal life? I must go and make my community better. I must go and love my neighbour as myself. I must go and have an impact on the people that I come into contact with that makes their life better in some way. Now, one of the things that I remember growing up with in terms of talking in church and talking about looking after the poor and doing things like Grand's Van does or Paul's Kitchen does or or some of the stuff that I know you guys do within the context of the community we so often talk about it as these are a means to an end, right? These are an opportunity to build a relationship with somebody so that we can share the gospel with them. Anyone ever heard that before? Is there anything wrong with that? No? But I think that, there, that making a better community from God's perspective is actually an end in itself. Now, I don't know whether you find that controversial or not, Um, but I believe that God created us to live as a community and we see that in the way that he put Adam and Eve in the garden and he gave them a set of rules and he said, go and multiply and fill the earth. So God was creating for himself a community of people. 
Uh, he then drew Abraham out and separated him to become the father of many nations and that through his seed and his offspring, the whole world would be blessed. So that as people looked at Abraham and the nation of Israel that came out of that, that they would recognise that there is a different way to live. And if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, particularly verses 4 to 11, uh, this is specifically talking about how the nation of Israel should interact with the poor. And it says, when you go and harvest your field, only go over it once. Don't go over it twice and make sure that you get every last scrap. Go over it once and leave whatever you miss for the poor to come along and pick. And don't go all the way to the edge of the paddock. Leave a strip around the outside for the poor to come and gather. And he says, every seven years, make sure that you forgive the debts of anybody that you've lent money to. Look after the poor. Now, God wasn't saying this to the nation of Israel so that they could sudden, they would get an opportunity to build a relationship with somebody who didn't know him and share the gospel with them. That wasn't the point. The point was God was describing what does it look like to live as part of my community. What it looks like to live as part of my community is to care for the poor, to care for the orphan, to care for the widow. What it looks like to be one of my people is to be a people that take care of everyone else within that community. So when the man comes to Jesus and asks, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God, to inherit eternal life, and we talk about loving our neighbour as ourselves, it's a reference back to this idea. Jesus' people are marked by this concept that what we have now belongs to you. And we see that in Acts, don't we? Where the early church is formed together uh, and in Acts uh, 4 it says that they had everything in common. Those who had a piece of land went and sold it and bought the money to the apostles so that that money could be used to buy food for all the people who needed it. It was a mark of their community. Now, I read something the other day about the, the story of the Good Samaritan and it, and it talked about um, three phrases that you'll be familiar with. For the robbers, they looked at Norman and said, what's yours is mine. Uh, for the priest and the Levite, for those who judged from afar on social media, they said, what's mine is mine. Our friend Ahram, or, or the Samaritan in the story, said, what's mine is yours. We can either be the kind of people who look at the world and say, I'm going to take everything that I possibly can from it. I'm going to drain it for all it's worth. I'm going to get everything that I can and I'm going to grab hold of it and I'm going to hold it tight and I'm never going to let it go. We can be like that. Once we get it, we can say, you know what? I worked hard for what I have and if you work hard, you can get it as well. And I'm happy to support you a little bit with that. But, you know, ultimately what I have is mine and I'm going to hold on to it. And if you make stupid mistakes or silly decisions, then that's really your problem and it's not mine. Um, have any of you actually been out with Grens Van uh, previously? Yeah. And met some of the people? Are they, are they strange people? No, they're just people. Um, and if you listen to some of their stories, which I've had the privilege of doing over the last couple of years in working for Grands Van, you hear some really ordinary things help people wind up in these situations. Um, I spoke to a guy only a few weeks ago who said uh, he's on a disability pension, hurt his back 20 years ago, can't work. Um, 
has a private rental property, but it, as we know, rental prices are going through the roof at the moment, yeah? His rent has just been put up $40 a week and he's on a pension. So he comes to Grand's Van, okay? Um, and, and there are just so many stories like this. I, I, I met a guy in the mall um, a couple of years ago. We were doing a, a display for Grand's Van and some other organisations for Homelessness Week and he came up and spoke to us and said, you know, I'm homeless, this is my situation, this is what's going on. And we were immediately like, how can we help you? And he said, really, you can't. He was on um, Centrelink, Job Seeker, or whatever it is now. Uh, they had found him a house or a unit or something to live in in Ulverston. He had chosen to move out and to live on the streets. And you go, what? And he said, no, it's like this. I have a daughter who lives in Queensland. She was 10 or 12 at the time. And he said, I would like to go and see her. And my choice is, I can take my Centrelink payment and I can put a little bit aside and save that money up so that I can afford an airplane ticket to go to Queensland and see my daughter. Or I can pay the rent on the unit they found me. <laughs> I just went, how do you make that choice? I can choose to be homeless or I can choose to see my family. These people live in our community. And I genuinely feel that the message that God, that Jesus had for that person who came and asked him that question today is, look around, open your eyes, find the person who needs what you have. Find the person who needs what you have. And then give it to them. How many of you... Uh, and, and this is, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up for this question. This is more just something for you to reflect on. How many of you genuinely have more than what you actually need? <laughs> right. Not everybody. Right? That's why I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up because there may be somebody here who doesn't. And if you're in that situation and you need help, then I'd say please chat to somebody and, and get some support. Um, but, but for many of us, we have way more than what we need. So this idea of saying what's yours is mine, I'm going to accumulate stuff, what's mine is mine, I'm going to hold on to it, just it, to me is just so not what God called us to be. What God called us to be is, to people, is, is the kind of people who go, you know what, what's mine is yours. If I have an extra loaf of bread, you can have it. If I've got a second jacket, you can have it. Uh, you know, if I can give you a lift somewhere, then I'll do it. Whatever it is. Um, Another simple story about a, a lady who um, was, and I think still does, go, goes to Paul's Kitchen. And she said, by going to Paul's Kitchen for one meal a week, it enables her to put petrol in a car to get her kids to school. You know, she hasn't got any extra to give to anybody else. She's right on the edge. Um, and organisations like Grand's Van and like Paul's Kitchen and Heaven's Kitchen and others are there to support those kind of people. And here's the deal. What I know about this church is you guys are already doing this in so many different ways. Okay? I, I had the privilege of um, sharing coffee with Eddie in a couple of months ago and talking through some of what your church is up to. And then I sit in the pew this morning or get handed a, a leaflet as I walk in the door and sit this morning and, and hear about a new initiative that you guys are doing in the community to support the community. And you know what? I just stand back and go, well done. Fantastic. This is... You are being the kind of people that God has called you to be. So I'm not here to twist, you up, to twist your arm to give or to try and convince you to do something that you don't know about. 
I'm actually here to encourage you for doing the things you're already doing. Because I feel like this is a church that I can genuinely stand back and go, hey, look at them. There's a community of God's people who's living the way that God's people are supposed to. Right, now, I bet it's not all a bunch of roses, yeah? And I know it's not perfect. But at the very least, there is a heart here to be reaching the community and serving and doing stuff. And I just want to congratulate you guys for that and say, more. Keep going. Don't stop. Serve your community. Love your people and continue to do it well. But as I do that, I just want to ask you one question. And this is partly through my experience with, um, with the job that I do and some of the phone calls I get which are exceedingly strange when people want to make a donation to us at Grands Van. They seem strange to me anyway. I guess it's because of the way that I view the world and everybody sees it differently. But I had a phone call not too long ago. A person rang up and they wanted to donate some items that they had um, collected and gathered to Grands Van. Now, these were things like toiletries, towels, blankets, um, you know, the, the kind of things that you sort of bathroom stuff that maybe if you're homeless you wouldn't have access to. And this person had deliberately put them into packages. So, you know, a tooth brush and some toothpaste and, and gathered them up and said, okay, here's a package that you can give out. And I've, I don't know, she had 10 or 15 of them. I can't remember exactly what the number was. Um, now, my response was, that's really great. The problem is our clients won't take them as a package. Um, all of the items are things that we can use. It's all stuff that we'd give away. But if you give them to us, I just want to let you know that we're going to break them up and give them out individually because our clients will do that anyway. They'll come to the van and they'll say, no, I don't want that on that, but I need that, need that item there, excuse me. And her response was, no, you can't do that. And I went, sorry? She said, well, I went to all the trouble of packaging them up. You can't break them up and, and give them away. And I went, sorry? <laughs> so the issue here was not that she wasn't giving. The issue is that what she thought she was getting out of giving my assessment of it. I don't know this person, she was a complete stranger and I may be being terribly judgmental um, and I'm sorry if that's the case. But it just struck me as being really strange and so I started to think about, and there's been a few instances similar to this in, in terms of Grands Van, people wanting to give but only in a certain way. And I started to ask myself the question, what is, what's, what's behind this? What's behind this, yes I'll give but only like this? Uh, and I realised or, or I, I really came to wonder, is it because it's not about giving for the sake of the other person, it's about giving for me? Even though I'm giving, my attitude behind it is wrong. And that's why um, the Bible verse that we, the Bible reading that we had this morning is the one that I chose. Because it's not just about trying to create this kind of community, it's not just about loving our neighbour, it's about why. Why do I do that? Am I doing it because giving makes me feel good? Am I doing it because I can celebrate in the world, look how much I'm giving to the community? Am I out there waving the flag and saying, I'm one of those rich people who's walking up to the pot with a big, you know, I don't know what they were tipping in, copper coins or gold coins or whatever it was, but Jesus sat back and watched them coming to make their donations and they were tipping it in and I bet some of them were making a big deal of it. Maybe some of them were putting it in carefully. But for most of them, the rich, they were giving such a small portion of their wealth that it really didn't cost them anything. 
and it was more about the feeling that they got from it and, and maybe the reputation that they got from the people around them that was important. Whereas for the widow, she came and gave everything that she possibly had because her relationship with God said a few things, I think. One is, God, you're worth it. Because I love you, I'm prepared to give everything that I've got. And because I love you, I trust you enough that giving you everything I've got doesn't mean I'll be left to go without. And I think sometimes that's one of the hard things. See, it's easy to go, you know what, I've got two jackets, I'll give you one. It's a bit harder to go, I've only got one jacket, but you need it more than I do. Um, it's easy to go, oh, Grand's van needs sleeping bags, I'll duck down to the, sp- to the camping shop and buy two or three, because you know, it's not going to make any difference to me to spend a couple of hundred bucks for a few fle- sleeping bags. Make a big difference to the people who've got nothing. And don't get me wrong, that's a great thing, and, and we... Absolutely love donations like that and we, we get them reasonably regularly. But I feel like there's no cost to that and the attitude behind it is, ah, whatever. There's no sense of, I'm doing this because I love my neighbour. There's no doing this because it's a response of my love for God. There's no doing this because I want to try and be a part of building the kind of community that God created. I'm doing this either because oh yeah, whatever, it's just what people do or because I get something out of it. So while I really, really want to encourage you as a church for the things that you're doing in the community, I also want to challenge you as a church to ask yourselves the question, what's our motivation for this? And that motivation shouldn't just be, like we said, it's not a terrible thing, but it shouldn't just be this is an opportunity to get a foot in the door to bash them over the head with the gospel and try and convert people. It shouldn't just be about that. It should simply be about, here's a human being created in God's image, whom God loves, so I will love them too. And because I love them, in the same way that I love myself, I will give them what they need and I will serve them. That's the attitude that we should have. So I just want to leave you with those two things this morning. A a massive encouragement to say, guys, well done. Um, Please keep doing the things you're doing for our community the way that you guys are supporting Devonport and continuing to grow and expand the way you do that speaks volumes about who God is and what his community of people looks like. But also that challenge, why are you doing it? And I guess a little bit of a challenge of if you're a part of this church and you're not involved in any of the stuff the church does, how can you get involved? How can you be a part of making our community better? Because I genuinely feel that God is not just interested in taking us out of this earth and into heaven one day, but he's interested in transforming this earth here and now. Let's be a part of God's work, eh? All right, let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for the example of your son, Jesus Christ, who gave up everything that he had, the full glory of being God in heaven with you, seated at your right hand. And he left all of that behind to become a little baby, to grow on this earth as a normal human being, and ultimately to, to pay, the, pay the price for our sins by sacrificing himself on the cross. Lord, his love led him to give everything. Lord, thank you for that example. Thank you for your love for us. Lord, we ask that we would look around with fresh eyes at our community, at our church, um, at Devonport, that we would see the needs that are there, that we would recognise the opportunities that we have to help that we would see it not just as a means to an end, but that we would see that creating a fresh and vibrant and just 
community is something that you have called us to do, to be as your people, and it's not something that we should be having to work really hard at, but it just becomes who we are because you have invited us to be a part of a community where everybody stands equal because you have given us your righteousness. And Lord, I would ask that, that as this church continues the great work that it's begun of serving the community, that you would help them to reflect on their attitudes but to continue in that process of just building a, a people in Devonport that can be recognised as being different because of the justice and the mercy and, and the, the generosity that comes from uh, looking after and caring for every single member of that community. And Lord, we recognise that that can only come from that heart of love, from the very commandments that the man in the Bible asked Jesus at that time. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. So, Lord, I commit this group of people to you and as we um, each go out into our lives individually every day that you would bless and encourage and direct us to continue that work of generating that community that you desire to have and that through that ultimately more and more people will become to be officially and fully part of your family um, for now and for always and we pray these things in Jesus name. Amen.